Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers, helping you move through the six divorced and done steps to move through your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we talk about in Divorced and Done is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, how you doing? Bonjour, Robert. Salut. How we doing? Ah, uh, doing well. I I'm feeling loosened up. Went to the chiropractor this afternoon. Ooh, that was exciting. You ever go to a chiropractor? Uh, I do actually. I go frequently due to uh, running injuries on my legs. I get uh, shockwave therapy on my calves to help bust up some scar tissue in there, which has been a huge relief. And now I'm back. Um, I'm doing actually. I'm doing fitness class in the park. It's me and uh, my wife when she's not busy working, but she works a lot in the summer. So I end up going to this thing normally by myself. And it's me and a bunch of sort of middle-aged women. And the the instructors also fits that sort of category. And we sort of do bouncing around and push-ups and all this stuff. And I initially felt so apprehensive showing up to this uh, because I can't do some of the activities because I'm just not flexible enough to do some of the squats and all this stuff. But anyway, the chiropractor has been great. Uh, The fitness class, I've overcome my apprehension. I'm getting fitter. You're leading that class now. You probably are the fitness class. With a group of ladies, you'd be tons of fun. Well, I mean, so of course, having a running background and doing the uh, Peloton cycling and all that stuff in my basement, I have a good cardio base. But in terms of flexibility and doing um, sort of yeah, cardiovascular exercises, like an exercise class. You know, I don't do, I don't do jumping jacks and then push-ups and then down dogs and all this stuff. Like I don't regularly do that. So that, that's really difficult. And I've been really sore after some of these classes because they are very intense, but, um, no chiropractors and physiotherapists, physical therapists, all of that, that's totally valuable. So I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, I went in there because my neck has been sore, whether I slept funny or what it was. And as you and I talk about just general stress of our profession, we're sitting all day long. We hold that in our shoulders. We hold it in our back. And this was actually my first time with a new chiropractor. And he said, holy smokes, this is way more than just your neck. Your back is so tight and so seized up. And just sort of having him move me around and other things, it was excruciatingly painful. (laughs) throughout the session. Uh, but at the end, I felt great and I feel really good. So I'll probably go back in the next couple of weeks um, to see him again. But the cool thing was he was asking me, of course, talked a little bit about what we do for work. He said, what do you do for fun? We have a podcast. And he loved hearing that we have a podcast and that our podcast is on average 20 to 35 minutes. So it's convenient enough to folks to listen to in the car or on the commute to work. And as always, in this wonderful transition, you can send us questions, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. We love getting voicemails. We got questions this week. And uh, one of the ways uh, we get questions sometimes is through other social media channels like LinkedIn or TikTok. Uh, We'll start this week with a question I got on TikTok through a direct message. Um, from a longtime follower, it appears on that platform and also the podcast. So 
Let's dive into it. A listener says, hi, Darren. Hope you and Rob are safe and well. Well, now listening to this, you know that we are both uh, getting the proper physio uh, care, so we are both safe and well. Uh, been following you for a long time now and been with your podcast since day one. Very cool. Love it and love what you two do for folks. Truly admirable. Anywho, I have a question for you and Rob. I'm stuck on the parenting step. Okay, so that's step two. <clears throat> Excuse me. What can I do if my ex demands and says she will pay for a practice note seven? And I'll just stop there. That's a uh, Alberta-based a practice note through the Alberta rules of court. And obviously you can speak to this probably better than I can, Rob, but it's basically a parenting assessment. And so he's saying- Voice of the child report. Voice of the child report. Okay. Uh, what can I do if my ex demands and says she will pay for a practice note seven? However, later she tells my kids that she was never able to afford it. I definitely can't afford it myself. Our children have outlined some abuse to me, which if- I brought up in court, uh, she would naturally deny. I'm trying to get a lawyer for my 10 and 8-year-old children so their wishes can be heard uh, without mine or my ex's influence since uh, she has called them liars in court. But a judge has already ordered the practice note 7. Okay, so there's an order for that. Is there a process or procedure to do away with the practice note 7 and get this ball rolling with a child lawyer or advocate again, rather than spinning wheels and wasting everyone's time and energy or money. Um, we're three years deep in this litigation and um, the uh, it's a, it, he says it's three years deep in the litigation um, regarding custody. She keeps dragging everything out. I just found out from the kids that she was recently evicted from another house that she was renting and that they were sleeping on air mattresses in a friend's living room. Also, if it's relevant, uh, she's been through five lawyers who have all withdrawn as her counsel. I'm exhausted. I just want to be done with all of this and have resolution. The kids keep, keep telling me they don't want to see her. I can't engage in those conversations, but I also don't want to invalidate their feelings. How can I help? Okay. Very, uh, thorough question. It looks like the listener here, Rob, is uh, really thinking about how to put his kid's best interest forward. There's a current order in Alberta for a practice note seven assessment to be completed. But now the listener's thinking, hmm, maybe that's not the best. Maybe we should get an order to appoint counsel for these kids. What do you think? I like that a practice note seven has been ordered, and I think that you should continue with it. Children's counsel is good. Darren and I have both been children's counsel or children's lawyers before, but as children's lawyers, we can only really say what the children are telling us. And sometimes that's pretty limited, as opposed to someone like a counselor or a psychologist that can prepare a Practice Note 7 report. And I believe uh, Practice Note 7s particularly, unlike just a hear the child report in other jurisdictions that could be produced by a counselor. It actually must be produced by a psychologist or someone under the supervision of a psychologist. So it really is the most in-depth analysis of your children's views that you'll get. That said, of course, they are expensive. Interestingly, uh, depending on where you are in Alberta, usually what we see when these uh, practice note sevens are ordered is there is a component that often legal aid will pay the upfront cost 
uh, with that legal aid bill to be shared by both parents equally, unless there's argument later on after the report's received and you've resolved more of your issues, that one parent or the other should bear more of that bill. So in my view, and this is also the case for Children's Council, Children's Council, those expenses are paid usually upfront by legal aid. And both of you, regardless of financial position, but as you're saying, you can't afford the Practice Note 7, she can't afford it. This should be a really straightforward matter to get legal aid to cover that, depending on where you are. The judge has already ordered this. The judge can add a term to that order that legal aid will provide the upfront funding for this. And then it's a question of finding a psychologist or someone supervised by a psychologist who will do that work at legal aid rate. Similarly to for Children's Council. Uh, you can get Children's Council, you can do it privately, but we don't recommend it because both you and your ex would have to agree on that appointment. And it's very important as a side note to make that clear here. No one should ever just go out and retain a lawyer unilaterally for your children. Uh, that appointment needs to come objectively or by agreement with your ex, so there's some impartiality there. But legal aid can also provide uh, funding for you for counsel for your children. And often it can be voice of the child report or counsel for children. But given all the things you've said here and given you've been in litigation for over three years, uh, she's had five lawyers. Things have probably been in and out of court many times. That passage of time and that many court appearances, I'd want the practice note seven, not just children's counsel. Because even if you did get children's counsel, that children's counsel would likely want a practice note seven anyway to provide that more in-depth in-depth analysis uh, for what your children are thinking and feeling. I don't have much to add other than just on the practical point, you say, I sort of want this all behind me. And I think one thing I've found, the more I do this, uh, particularly with separated couples with minor children, and they're not able to agree on the big points about how their children should be raised, how much time they should spend between both households. That's not a magic wand that you can wave and it'll just be over. And the practice note seven assessment and even a child's lawyer won't solve those problems for you. So <clears throat> it's either going to be, you know, you're, you're facing conflict and that conflict won't go away despite having experts intervene, despite the fact there's even final orders made down the road at a trial because, of course, your kids get older, their needs change over time, um, your needs change as a parent over time, likewise your ex-spouse's, the, their needs as well change. So there's a whole bunch of things that can change even if there's a final order and it's it's not uncommon to see final orders varied in the future uh, by virtue of one party bringing an application to vary it. So unfortunately, you could be in for a 10-year cycle of conflict with your ex if you um, are not able to do everything within your own power to try and resolve that conflict. Either internally, you just resolve, you know what, they're, the kids are never going to have suitable living arrangements with their mother, at least to my expectations, because um, maybe she's just not, from your perspective, able to govern herself um, appropriately. And you can't control what she does on her time with the kids. <clears throat> so 
that's a very long way of saying you may never be satisfied with this process. And it, it's unlikely that some of that dissatisfaction, if any, would be resolved by virtue of court orders or by experts stepping in and giving opinions, just because I don't think you two see the world the same way. And unless there's serious safety problems, and unless um, it, you know courts make sweeping findings of misconduct by one parent, you know, you may just be headed down a path of conflict here for a few years, and there's nothing you can really do about that. And that's just the reality. <clears throat> that said, do everything you can to um, help your kids. You've put that in your question, and do everything you can personally to try and handle that conflict with your ex in a healthy way, either through counseling yourself. Uh, not counseling yourself, but getting counseling, um, therapy, uh, seeing your doctor, all those sort of things, staying healthy, staying, being the best person you can be. I think that may help you a little bit, but um, continue to work with your lawyer and hopefully that practice note seven and children's counsel pieces work out in your favor. We really do appreciate the question. On that note, one of my favorite things, you said counseling, Darren, that courts are not very likely to order unless there's consent and agreement amongst the parties is co-parenting counseling, which is both parents saying, yes, maybe we're still in litigation or we've had a long time of litigation. And communication between us is really hard. But both parents understand they'll need to communicate in some fashion for the sake of their kids going forward. And instead of saying, oh, I want to... Uh, restricted communication order or a conduct order saying we'll only communicate via text or email, we'll only communicate at these times, restricted only to things with the children. By saying we're going to go to co-parenting counseling, and that's different than parenting coordination or like having someone else come in and make decisions with you or like having another judge. It's exclusively saying I have to have a relationship with this person and we need to communicate. Let's have a referee See if that person can help us rebuild some of that communication if it was there before or if it was never there to begin with at all. And if that's something that both of you can agree um, to do, and I would even recommend to the listener, if he's financially in the position to say, I'll even pay for this for half an hour or one hour a month for a year, just for us to be able to go with someone else, sit in a room and have a without prejudice discussion, meaning whatever we talk there won't be in affidavits, doesn't go back to our lawyers, anything else, just with the goal of the two of you trying to move forward is a recommendation I often like to make. Very good. All right, let's go to our next question. Uh, the title of this one is a doozy from uh, Kelowna. So the listener says, uh, hello, Darren, love the TikTok videos. I've learned a lot from them, has helped me prepare better for my lawyer and have a better understanding of the process. I'm going through a bit of a ringer right now with my ex-spouse, her father, who is far too involved and I believe is the source of some of the issues, started everything by uh, calling in a false suicide claim against me when she kicked me out because I was re removing some of my possessions. Uh, including a firearm for my son's safety. It's been seven months of the other party denying me parenting time with my son. Um, uh, won't let exchanges happen in a public location and even hit me with a family protection order that is 100% fabricated. I have our FJM, 
um, I think uh, family FMC, family management conference is perhaps what uh, the listeners suggesting here um, coming up soon, as well as my application to set aside the protection order, but I'm a loss on how someone can manage to manipulate the courts so far. I have even provided evidence that her father was accessing my online social media to provide compromised messages that I have no memory of. Um, how are there no repercussions for this? If a protection order is found to be entirely fabricated in order to prevent me from exercising my parenting time, is there anything I can do? And is there any way I can get her father to back off? He's stolen some possessions to hide them from court, refuses to give me my motorcycle, um, and generally has been stymieing any progress in this matter. Originally, I just wanted some shared parenting time and a fair appearance in court, but she's lied and lied to the court in sworn documents knowing um, I don't have enough evidence to overcome this because she just wants my money and possessions and has um, basically been very difficult um, and sort of leaves it at that. So I'm skimming through some of this, but looks like there's been a protection order granted at first instance initially. Uh, the listener feels like his ex-spouse and her father are teaming up against him to um, provide false information to the court in getting that protection order. And he's been without uh, substantial parenting time at all. And he has some court appearances coming up to possibly set those pieces aside, the protection order pieces. Um, Rob, what do you think of all of this? Sounds like there's lots of pieces going on, particularly with, I'll shorthand and say her father, grandpa here getting involved. I'm particularly concerned for the parenting relationship, uh, and I'm sorry that's happening. But you have a case conference coming up, and when anyone gets a protection order, as you suggest, 100% fabricated, you have the right to challenge that order and have a hearing on that order. That may, depending on your individual facts, be a good focus for you and focusing on why it's wrong and why it should be gone. Or you can look at that order because most protection orders, wherever they're granted in the country, have some wording in there, particularly where there's children, unless there are direct threats to those children that say a court of competent jurisdiction may make an order with respect to parenting in spite of that protection order being in place. So the first thing you need to really ask yourself, do you need to be able to talk to your ex all the time here? Is there some reason that you must have communication with this person right now? Or was there some instance between the two of you where things got too hot for whatever reason that led her to go and get that protection order? Does it really mean the two of you need to talk? Or can you focus on the parenting pieces saying, we have differences between ourselves right now. She's gotten this order for whatever reason. I still want to go forward and be the best parent I can be for my son. And looking at the facts that led to that protection order, is there anything in there that would suggest you're a danger or uh, an incapable or incapable of being a parent to your son? So I'd really look at that piece in some of what I'm saying to be forward focused. Can you still potentially increase your parenting time? Because as you've suggested, she's withheld your son from you, done these things to deny you parenting time, courts aren't stupid. You can look at lots of decisions online 
where protection orders have been used for what we call a collateral purpose as backdoor parenting orders, where people aren't really getting them because they're afraid or there's a real situation, but they want them just because they want to deny someone parenting time. If that's really what's going on here and you're seeing all of that and it's clear to you, a court may pick up on that. And they may say, fine, she's still afraid something happened, you were threatening, whatever. Protection order for mom is still in place, but there's no reason you can't be a dad. And I'd focus on that piece apart from the other things. Now, with property, all those other pieces, as you know, that's a step four thing. You're still making payments on a motorcycle. That's concerning. The motorcycle is in grandpa's possession. All of that should come out when you're doing your matrimonial property division. And that should come back to you. But concerns here about penalties or compensation for people that are placing malicious protection orders... We don't see that, and I would suggest to you that's probably not the best focus of your energy or your efforts. What you need to be focused on, seeing your son, then working the divorced and done steps so that you can maximize your parenting time, be the best parent you can be, and then hopefully things like the EPO, the property issues, will just go away in the course of time. Yeah, I think I <clears throat> I skimmed over the, the bits and pieces on payments for motorcycles and all that from the, the question. So thanks, Rob, for picking up on that. I know you're you're looking at the email as well. Um, and the, the listener does mention that he's got, you know, these motorcycle payments, but he doesn't have access to it. So I agree. Yeah, put that off for a later date. More broadly, just on your issue of parenting time, <clears throat> um, given what's happened here, I think you can expect a multi-year process. Like this won't be solved overnight. Getting that protection order set aside, at least as you say, Rob, for having contact with your child, that's priority one. And saying, look, uh, I need the protection order set aside. Here's my evidence. I'm not a risk to the child. Um, Here's who I am, here's what I do, here's my relationship with the child, here's why it's in my child's best interest to have a meaningful relationship with me. Um, But more broadly, I mean, yeah, setting aside the entire protection order, that would be ideal. Having any protection order in existence is somewhat prejudicial. But yeah, focusing on um, your relationship with your child's thing one, and given the setbacks that have happened here, in your life, I think you can expect a gradual process to getting your child back in your life over the next couple of years. And that's unfortunate perhaps from your perspective, but that's the reality. I think it would be foolish for either Rob or I to say, yep, you're going to go to court in a month and you're going to get shared parenting and it's going to be easy and you don't have anything to worry about. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, look at gradually reintroducing your son into your life, given what's happened. There might be an injustice because of what happened or what you might think is an injustice. But um, number one priority is how do you build a relationship with your child? What are you doing? How can you convince the court or ideally convince your ex-spouse that it is in your child's best interest to have a relationship with you and not not see you for the next seven months again. Um, 
And if you can't have direct contact with her, it's almost a certainty that you could have contact with her through lawyers. So get a lawyer if you don't already have one and try and have that lawyer reach out to her or her lawyer to say, what are we doing about dad having a relationship with the child? That's priority one. Let's think about that. And shifting your mind perhaps from, yeah, maybe she fabricated evidence. Maybe her dad isn't the best guy to you. Maybe they've done a bunch of bad things and they're really, really uh, just not great people. The more we think about, yeah, they've done some bad things, the less you're thinking about, how do I get my son in my life? So you only have so much time in the day, so much mental energy. Um, we think you should use it probably the best way you can, which would not be, uh, let's, let's spin around, spin our wheels, fighting them, her and her dad, about all the injustice here. Focus on getting your son back in your life and um, take it gradually. Take it over the next couple of years because I think um, I, I think that's probably what it's going to take. Uh, let's go to our last question this week. Uh, it's a short one. Uh, question about divorce on tax forms. Hello, Darren. My question, I am legally separated. Um, and we'll talk about that in a moment, I guess. I am legally separated November 1, 2021. My ex-husband sent his T1 form as required and his accountant marked off divorced, but we are not. Do we have to get this corrected? What are my next steps? Also, I forgot to adjust my marital status three months later than my ex. He put October 1. Uh, is this problematic? We separated October 1, but legally separated November 1, 2021. So, um, looks like it's just the completion of tax forms for the last tax year and the marking of marital status on the tax forms. But uh, I think the interesting thing about this question, Rob, is the phrase legally separated, which the listener uses twice in the email. And I know I see this and I think you see this, this notion or thought or um, whatever you want to call it that there is something known as a legal separation. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'll just jump in here. That isn't a thing in Canada. We don't distinguish legally separated. You're either separated or you're not. Now, um, we're not accountants, but on the um, filling out the tax form piece, do you have any thoughts on that? <clears throat> I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I as the listener says, yes, they separated October 1, 2020, but legally separated November 1, 2021. I don't know what that means. months later. Yeah, I mean, separate and apart. And our steps, step one means get separate and apart and be physically apart from the other person for just your mental health, not to go down that path, as we've talked about before and we recommend. But separate and apart for legal purposes, when you're filing for divorce and say, what is your date of separation? That's for when you and your mind knew your relationship was over. So you can be separate and apart, uh, but still live in the same house and have that uh, be correct for legal purposes for filing for divorce. But one triggering date to say we were separate and then we were legally separated later on. You're exactly right, Darren. And that's not a distinction we make in Canada. And I think it's a common misconception. It looks like in this situation, on the tax form, though, this is where things get more tricky. 
because depending when people separate, how you file your taxes on separation can trigger a whole different bunch of issues, particularly for benefits you may claim, like the Canada Child Tax Benefit and other pieces that you can claim if someone's claiming spousal support or not. You obviously can't claim a spousal support deduction if you're still living together, because why would you be paying spousal support? So on that piece, we're not tax lawyers and we don't give tax advice. I'm going to be very clear on that. You may have some issues with CRA down the road if you both have different dates on there where benefits that both of you might be entitled to may be denied because your tax forms don't necessarily line up. But we don't really know any more on that from the question. In terms of getting something corrected, you might have to correct it in the future. And your next best steps on that would actually be talking to an accountant. But more than anything, both you and your ex sort of need to be on the same page when we were separated when your date of separation occurred, when you were both out of the same house, and that will be a coordination piece uh, going forward so you both can confirm that you're on the same page. Yeah. I mean, the only there's a good point on all the benefits pieces on the, the tax stuff. That's where you can have I, an issue. It's CRA. People come to us, they say, "How can, I'm having a problem. CRA's denied my benefits. Can you fix this? No, I can't. <laughs> And that's that's coordination with uh, the CRA. Like y- you're going to have some back and forth with um, a-, a bureaucrat about that and say, no, we're yes. actually separated this date. And yes, more times than not, couples can agree on that. But just coming back to this point, this thought of legal separation, that doesn't exist. Separation is when there's a clear expression by one party to the other or both to each other we are now no longer in a romantic relationship. It's not. Well, it was sort of organic. Like we all, everyone just sort of knew the relationship was over. Mm. Yeah. Did you? Like, was it, you know, well, Jimmy slept on the couch for a few nights a couple times and that was, and then I, it was all, it was very clear, right? No, it has to be a, a clear, preferably um, just expression. There's no, there's no disputing it. The relationship's over. It could be stating it that way. The relationship's over. It could be someone moving out of the house. As we stay under step one, ideally, it's so living separate and apart sort of two things. Number one, it's a clear expression by one party to the other or both that the romantic relationship is over. And it is also ideally both spouses now living in separate residences stemming from that discussion. So there is no legal separation. Uh, we want to make that very clear to the listener and anyone listening. Uh, there is no legal separation in Canada. You don't sign a simple form from lawdepot.ca or whatever sort of scam websites out there going, sign this and you're legally separated. And that's, that's how you prove it. And you get some sort of great benefit from signing this document. No, living separate and apart is quite a simple concept. But um, I mean, did I miss anything? No, we have dates of separation, as we know, almost universally across Canada. From your date of separation, you must be uh, separated, although that doesn't mean in separate houses, for one year before you can file those divorce documents to get a divorce judgment. But you're exactly right, Darren Schmidt, and hopefully 
that provides some clarity to this listener with a short question, but potentially more pieces behind it than maybe we answer. Keep sending the questions to us, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or speakpipe.com slash divorce to none. Darren Schmidt, thank you for being with me. I'm Rob Woodward. This has been Divorced and Done. We look forward to being with you again.